This is an RNZ podcast. Tēnā koutou katoa, I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to Insight. This week, modern learning, a promising revolution or a pathway to ignorance. Secondary schooling is at a crossroads. Radical approaches to teaching are dividing principles and teachers and the NCEA review has raised the prospect of significant change. Our education correspondent John Gerritsen investigates whether secondary education needs an overhaul. For decades, secondary schooling has been regarded as the business end of children's education. It's where teenagers get the qualifications that prove what they've learned and how well they've learned it. In those final years of schooling, students specialise and choose individual subjects that are taught and assessed in isolation from one another. But that's changing. I've combined pretty much every subject that I've been in right from like the get-go of NCEA. For the past five years, Auckland teenager Angus Lynch has been learning through projects that cover several disciplines at once. Pretty much all of the credits that I did through year 11 and 12 were combined across classes and inside my modules to like optimise the credits I was getting for the work I was doing. So I did lots of like big, big projects that were worth around 20 credits that were across multiple subject areas. In Christchurch, Year 12 student Terina Kotara is getting ready for exams, but her schedule looks nothing like that of a traditional school. So I've got like teachers that I go to for the work I need for my externals. I'm doing like, English, a couple of science and a couple of maths ones, so each week I'll go to my teachers and like get the work that I need to practice on and study on and stuff. So then once I do the exam I'll get like all my credits and stuff. And in the same room, Year 10 student Jada Coffin is making earrings and learning at the same time. It's better for me because projects, I, I can add like maths and science into that project. So like for my earrings, I can do like maths through that because of the sizing. So I just tie in those subjects in a more fun way. <laughs> Jada, Terina and Angus go to schools that are breaking down the barriers between subjects and emphasising the so-called soft skills in the New Zealand curriculum. Things like working with others and managing their own learning. To date, individual schools have decided for themselves how far down this route they want to go, if at all. But the NCEA review has proposed including projects in the national qualification, a change that would push all schools in this direction. Advocates of the approach say it engages teens with their learning and prepares them not only for further study, but for an uncertain future. Critics worry valuable subject knowledge is being lost. You've got the radius. Yeah, so you go. And then you know that the centrifugal force is provided by gravity. Would you still use that then, or would you change that? Yeah, but you need to do it afterwards. Hobsonville Point Secondary School in Auckland is just five years old, and it's widely regarded as one of a handful of secondary schools at the cutting edge of the new style of education. The school's principal, Mori Abraham, says project or inquiry-based learning is at the heart of its approach. We've rejected the idea of kids' learning should be siloed into single subjects. So our students at a greater percentage of their learning in the junior school than in the senior school. They do most of their learning in what we call modules, which are two subjects linked together. So there might be some kids learning their science in conjunction with art. There might be some kids learning their science in conjunction with PE. There might be some kids learning their science in conjunction with English. So we look for the connections between those two learning areas 
to deepen kids' understanding of both of those learning areas. Maury Abraham says deep understanding comes from the links students make between subjects. He says Hobsonville Point students are directly involved in deciding what and how they'll learn. There's a lot of co-construction with the kids around the context for the learning of those key concepts and skills that we bring. Whereas I would suggest that in most schools, the context of the learning is created by the teachers. We hold the key concepts and skills and, if necessary, content of our learning areas really tightly. We won't give up on that. It's really important that kids understand those things. But we're open to bringing kids into the design of the context of that learning so it can engage them a little bit more, be authentic to their life more than perhaps to ours. Murray Abraham says the model is working well. He says visitors are always impressed by students' enthusiasm for and understanding of their learning and their results are starting to speak for themselves. Last year was our first Level 2 qualification kids, so it was really cool to have 60% of the standards at merit or excellence, which is very, very high. So if you believe that merit and excellence represents deeper learning, then that's some of the evidence that we've got. And our current Year 13 kids, who haven't yet set their externals, have increased that to about 67% of the standards being at merit or excellence. That's a high rate of merit and excellence. The average for high decile schools last year was 46%. So we've made our models and we've done all that Year 13 students at Hobsonville Point are confident their style of learning is better than more traditional approaches. Angus Lynch says his friends at other schools are not learning as much as he is. I was talking to people in like chemistry and stuff that where I've written like reports and like done research into stuff and they'll be given a specific topic and they write about it and they're relearning from their textbooks and stuff and it's funny because we're doing the exact same standards and the increased content that I'm learning from the same standards as them is like quite ridiculous like they're doing the same same things and but I'm just learning so much more from it that's what I can tell. Instead of just doing work for the sake of a grade to then get ranked, I was learning about stuff that I was interested in and that meant something to me in my future. Jennifer Berry moved to Hobsonville Point at the end of Year 9. For her, it was a shock after the traditional, competitive school she previously attended, but she believes it's a better way of doing things. Put a purpose in what I was doing, so it meant that it was also easier to get better marks because I was engaged. Like, it's about depth. And when a teacher's telling you what the topic is that you're studying for the whole term and you're not interested or you don't have any links to it, you're just reading a textbook and then regurgitating it instead of, you know, going in depth and finding the little, the little things that, you know, really click with you. And you. I mean, if you're passionate about something, then it's not really work anymore. Molly Scott acknowledges that Hobsonville Point gives students a lot of responsibility for their own learning and not everyone responds well. I'm not going to lie, it doesn't work for everyone. A model like this is still new to our society, so it takes a while for people to catch on, and I think that happens with you know, students and everything. So um, I think in the younger years, it's more of a problem, and that's why there is more guidance around what classes you have to take and the requirements. Once you get older, I think there's no more of that abuse going on because you know everyone's like, well, if I don't do this, I don't make it to uni, and you kind of have to be driven for that. But the school doesn't work for everyone. We've had people leave, and we've had... You know, lots of talk around why it doesn't work, but I think it's just the individual that makes it happen. Parents also struggle with the school's approach to learning and discipline. Jalen Wilson says his mother was not keen on Hobsonville Point, but let him start Year 9 there to see how it went. 
My mum was really traditional about me getting high academic grades. She sent me to an intermediate and put me into the academic class. And coming here, it was quite different because the model wasn't the model that she went through in high school, the traditional. You're going to this period now, you're going to maths next, then to English, then to PE. It was more you're doing things on a different schedule in a different way and it's hard for parents to get their head around. Jalen Wilson says he's done well academically, but it was the school's emphasis on skills like resilience that helped win over his mother. But not everyone is convinced. Hobsonville Point Secondary School has room for 1,350 children, but five years after opening, it has just 550 students. Maury Abraham admits some families have turned away. At the end of our first year, we lost eight families, I, I think, between year nine and ten. And then at the end of year ten, it was a similar amount because we had made a decision not to do NCA Level 1. That was a bridge too far for some parents. I had a year ten student say to me, look, don't worry, Maury, about those families that are left. The kids wanted to stay. It's just their parents couldn't understand what we're trying to do here. But since then, we, we haven't had that drop-off. And we've also made a dent in the quite big shift that happens at secondary age. Um, there's quite a few thousand kids a day leave West Auckland, go to North Shore and the Avondales. And so we've made quite a, a dent in that. Murray Abraham says people in other areas would like to send their children to the school, but it won't accept out-of-zone enrolments. However, it's clear some local families are avoiding Hobsonville Point because of its style of learning. I'm John Gerritsen, and you're listening to an insight on the growing divide over the way secondary students are taught. Thank you so much. Pleasure, pleasure. Hope you helped. Good Community Campus in Christchurch, the principal, Andy Kaifong, has just finished talking to a group of visiting secondary teacher students. Some liked the school's radical approach, but others emphatically did not. Andy Kaifong explains the school's underlying philosophy. Essentially what we're working towards is a model where students are directing and managing and creating their own learning opportunities and teachers are using their expertise of their curriculum areas to wrap the necessary qualifications that they need around those. So a little bit of a reversal on the education system that I went through where largely teachers held the control of what was delivered. Now we're trying to be a bit more responsive to what young people are interested in, what they want to spend time learning more about. Hayata is a new school created in the post-quake rebuild of Eastern Christchurch. It opened two years ago and combines the former local secondary school and surrounding primary schools into a single entity. Andy Kaifong says the school day is not divided into subject-based lessons. A typical day consists of a series of workshops that teachers would run. They are probably as close to a traditional class as you would have. So a teacher might offer a workshop in algebra or chemistry or accounting or economics or they might offer a workshop in Greek mythology or whatever and students will choose whether to add those to their timetable. There is a proportion of their timetable that could be spent in their independent learning. So that would be taking what they currently have in guiding and developing their own project and then there could be a time where they're in what we call korowai which is a cross-curricular package of learning that's been put together by teachers. So there, there are different ways that students are engaging in learning here. It's not just through projects currently. Andy Kaifong says achieving NCEA is incidental. But surely it should be the focus for every secondary student. 
Our expectation is that our kids leave with, with qualifications. They're still the currency of their next steps, so our expectation is still that they do that. But my feeling is that schools have become very credit-oriented, and that's what drives learning, and we actually want the passion and love for learning to drive what our kids do. And so whilst it sounds a little bit controversial to sort of say that NCR is incidental, that's our expectation for them, but we want them to love what they're doing and be good at what they're doing and create those requisite skills to be successful beyond school, way beyond school, and so that's, that's our driver. Hayata has not had an easy start. Last year it ordered 21 students to leave, giving the school the highest exclusion rate in the country. Andy Kaifong says that was due to a range of factors affecting a new school in post-quake Christchurch. The enormous amount of change that we experienced, the enormous variety and the nature of the student body that we had, you could say was largely unknown to each other because only about 50 or 60% of our kids came from the closing schools. So the unfamiliarity and the change, the change of learning design, the change of building, the change of peer group, if I was to dissect that group, they were excluded. These are young people that have been disengaged in learning for extended periods of time. They happened to probably maybe try us because it was the next new thing or it was an opportunity to try something different. He says so far this year, Hayata has excluded only four students. Hayata and Hobsonville Point are pushing the boundaries of change in secondary schools. Others remain unconvinced. At Freiburg High School in Palmerston North, the principal, Peter Brooks, describes how they tried combining several subjects. He says it didn't work. For a number of years we did have what was called integrated studies and there was a number of papers written about it. And in that, the teachers used to have the students for almost a third of the week for one teacher and they were teaching them English, social sciences, health, all in a combined curriculum. What we found over time was that in the secondary system people tend to have passions for certain subjects, like you're the historian or the geographer or the English teacher, and yes you can teach the other subjects, you've got some background, but if you're not having the person who's passionate about history teaching you in 9 and 10, that does have an effect. Peter Brooks says he has yet to see any evidence that subject integration is a good idea in secondary schools. Of all the reading I've done, I haven't seen any results that show that it's effective to do that. I know it's sort of trendy at the moment and people are trying all sorts of things. In some schools they can engage the students and that's what they're thinking about. And that certainly is an important dimension. But in terms of actually achievement levels for students in their actual learning, I've seen no evidence that it actually works. But that's not to say secondary education is stuck in the past. Peter Brooks says it's a lot different than it was 20 or 30 years ago. It's changed more than it stayed the same. There's been a huge shift in terms of the way we allow students to direct their learning and to have their own pathways now. I think the days of going into a classroom where everyone's sitting in rows and you put the lessons on the board and you do your exercises is pretty rare these days. Much more likely to see collaborative learning. Certainly at our school, for example, every student's got a laptop, so that completely changes the dimensions for a start. So a lot of it's flipped learning because you can do those things at home, what you might have normally done in the classroom. You can be engaging in group work and discussions and things when you're actually in the classroom. The new style of learning is strongly linked to the new style of school building, the flexible or modern learning environment with large open spaces and small breakout rooms. That's prompted some secondary schools to refuse to build them, including Kashmir High School in Christchurch. Mark Wilson is the principal here. 
Just over 30 years ago, he and I went to the same high school in Hamilton. Hi, Mark. Good to see you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Come on down. Well. Thanks, guys. See you. See you. There you go. Busy. Yeah. Um, come on in. It's um, a busy, busy time yeah. generally because um, yeah. we had the prize givings yesterday. Um, We're standing in a, a newly built area of Kashmir High School. It's quite a lot different to what. 1987, when, when you and I were in a classroom together with Mr Coyle teaching us history, I guess teaching's changed quite a bit since then. Uh, yeah, it has. In particular in the last couple of decades, I think there's been some quite revolutionary changes in education. A lot of that's been driven by technology. There's some good fundamental ideas behind the revolution in terms of the shifts and the changes that have happened in teaching practice. And across the sector, all of us support those concepts or those ideas. Mark Wilson says those core ideas include listening to students and involving them more in their learning, increasing the collaboration between teachers and greater use of technologies. But he worries some schools are adopting models of learning that have no place in secondary schools. A lot of it is very primary driven and primary based and that doesn't recognise the context within secondary schools that is critically important in terms of having specialised knowledge that students need to actually learn. If you're wanting to have students in year 13 learning physics, chemistry, biology, those sorts of things as well, it takes specialist instruction and uh, specialist knowledge that they need to actually develop and I think that is being severely undermined and eroded with the model that is being implemented in a lot of these schools. Mark Wilson says open plan buildings force schools to adopt the new approach to learning and that's why his school insisted on a more traditional design. Ironically, big open carpeted barns are not flexible. The only pedagogical approach that you're then restricted to using tends to be project-based learning. You can't be showing videos, you can't be having open debates or conversations with groups of students or direct instruction. It actually is far more limiting in terms of what you can actually do. Mark Wilson says most New Zealand teachers and principals are seeking a middle ground. They want to personalise students' learning, but they also want to hang on to their individual subjects. Avondale College is a big school with excellent NCEA results, especially in light of the fact it is decile four, meaning many of its students are from very poor backgrounds. I'm expecting to find a focus on traditional teaching, but the principal, Brent Lewis, says that's not the case. Those days are gone. Students need to be able to work collaboratively, they need to be nimble, they need to be critical thinkers, they need to have a sense of themselves as a product in the marketplace because the reality is the career paths won't be linear as they once were. So yes, we're going to have to empower the students in all sorts of new ways. But with that, it's not a case of just letting them run free. We need considerable rigour in providing those new skills. Brent Lewis is sceptical about some of the approaches that are emerging, but he agrees students must be at the centre of education in a way that they have not been in the past. The big issue is the movement of the locus of control. When I went to school, the locus of control was at the front of the room, and what I think schools have to do in this day and age is prepare students so the locus of control is with themselves, that they are personally powerful in their own learning, and the teachers become, not the guide on the side is, is a cliche these days, but they have to be a facilitator of learning, not the repository of all knowledge. Brent Lewis says it's not yet clear how schools should replace the old ways with the new. Education is hitting something of another period of crisis. I think the mismatch between what's happening in schools and what's happening in the real world is becoming sharper. 
the real world's speeding up. The curriculum is not keeping pace. There's new framings of curriculum to try and make it looser and more flexible. But in that process, sometimes baby and bathwater issues appear where they're so loose that people are a little unclear as to what they should be doing. Schools are wandering off in different directions. I think some schools are taking a very creative approach. Some are retreating back into old sort of principles and truths. I think, I think there's all sorts of confusion going on out there. I don't think it's a simple landscape at the moment. I'm very cynical at the way this has been so uncritically adopted in New Zealand. It's underpinned by a very fast notion of change, a very exaggerated notion of change, and I think that it has gone too far. It has not recognised the continuity which is required from so-called old style of schooling, and it's jumped into rather woolly ideas about knowledge and rather weak ideas about learning. Bronwyn Wood is a senior lecturer in education at Victoria University. She's worried about the changes happening in schools. She argues they're driven by a sense that children living in a digital age need a very different education from those who have gone before them. Behind all of these changes are a feeling that the old style of teaching was not quite coping with the emergence of the 21st century and the needs of industry and the global society that we now live in, and digital society. So it's manifesting itself both in the style of curriculum delivery, the degree of choice which students are given to choose and select their own programmes. But Bronwyn Wood says there's no evidence modern children's brains have changed or that they need to learn in a different manner. Dr Wood has been part of a two-year research project covering five secondary schools that used inquiry learning in senior social studies. She says it didn't really work. What we found is that the most prevalent thing that fell out was knowledge. So students were engaged and doing things in society and in the community, but when they were drilled about what they knew about the issue which they were advocating for or fundraising for, they often had thin and quite patchy knowledge. Bronwyn Wood says that doesn't mean project-based learning can't work, but it needs strong teacher oversight to ensure students are learning what they need to know. She says supposedly modern approaches to learning are widespread in primary schools, but not so much in secondary schools. The only thing stopping the secondary school adopting quite so quickly is the structure of our assessment programme, which relies still on traditional subject areas and on experts, and they're far more reluctant to drop all of this to go into some merged curriculum integration programme. The secondary schools, some have become adopters of it and are are leading the way on that and others are far more reticent and I think they need to be. Even so, Bronwyn Wood says universities are noticing gaps in the knowledge of many students, especially in maths and the sciences. She says that's happening because at school they're being assessed in some standards but not others. What we find is that by the time they arrive at university, we have students with firstly huge gaps in their knowledge of stuff that we would expect them to know, but this type of self-led, student-led learning is resulting in these huge gaps. And the second thing is that they have very weak notions of the boundaries of knowledge, and it takes a very long time for them to get up to speed. So most of the, a lot of the first-year courses in maths and science are now just patching up what NCA and student-led learning has created. Dr Wood says schools need to find a middle way that makes the most of new technologies and approaches to learning while preserving the importance of subject specialist knowledge. At Albany Senior High School, we dedicate the entire school day on a Wednesday to students doing large-scale, long-term impact projects. So.
Claire Amos is the principal of Albany Senior High School, which follows a similar philosophy to Hobsonville Point in Hayata. She rejects the suggestion that schools like hers are failing to ensure students gain critical subject knowledge. In fact, she says it's central to their approach. If you're going to start deconstructing and reconstructing a curriculum, you need to do so with very deep curriculum knowledge. You need to make sure that you understand what the threshold concepts and skills are for any one subject before you try and go and integrate it with another subject. Because if you don't have a clear idea of what the absolute fundamental things are that a student needs to learn, then you may well lose that when you mix it up. But Claire Amos says schools must do a lot more than just teach children subjects so they get through the NCEA. We've also got a very real responsibility to ensure that these young people are developing skills around self-management, around collaboration, around complex communication skills. And often we sit there and we pat ourselves on the back because the kids are getting great NCA results, yet those kids go into university and they struggle. They struggle because they have been spoon-fed for the last three to five years of their high school career and they've been focusing on NCA credits at the expense of creativity and managing themselves and working beyond the school gates. Claire Amos says the creative approaches taken by schools like hers have prompted a backlash of criticism but she's optimistic more schools will start to change. I think we're actually at a point where things are going to change quite rapidly in the coming years. I think we're no longer seen as an alternative model of education. The conversations I'm certainly having with the parents who come and visit us who are looking to enrol at our school is being seen as the fit-for-purpose model of education for the time that we are living in. That change could be accelerated by the NCEA review. A ministerial advisory group has suggested including a project at level one of the qualification and submissions closed recently. The Education Ministry says the review is considering different ways of learning and it refused an interview request for this Insight programme because Cabinet has yet to make decisions. That won't happen until April next year at the earliest. Mark Wilson says the review is pushing a 21st century model of education and it's prompted a strong reaction from some schools. It's really highlighted the divisions that are actually growing within the secondary school and even wider educational sector around how we implement these educational changes in our schools and a bit of a backlash against some of the radical shifts that some people are wanting to actually impose on schools. But Claire Amos says altering the NCEA won't of itself be enough to make schools change the way they teach. I sometimes think we're looking at the NCA review as the tail that's going to wag the dog. We think if we change that, we might somehow radically change teaching and learning practice in the classroom. You know, history has actually taught us already that creating a system that can be flexible and can be creative isn't enough to encourage schools which are so deeply rooted in tradition to change their practice. While there are clarion calls for change, it's clear many teachers and parents remain unconvinced. That programme was written and presented by John Gerritsen. If you'd like to discover some great listening, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash insight, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, Charlie Drever explores whether New Zealand should be looking again at the use of genetic modification. 
I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's all from Insight. Lovely to have you with us, and do join us again next week. Listener.